there's not a lot of things that are left from the Aboriginal people. On the Kiwa River, there is evidence of uh, camping grounds and corroboree grounds. Mount Beauty, and the, well, the Kiwa Valley virtually runs north-south. And the northern end of the Kiwa Valley is, is, um, is actually Kalara, but it's Aubrey Wodonga. And I just have sometimes a sense of being able to just picture um, corroborees and, and people singing and dancing and whether or not. But I feel a, um, a very close connection and it's not all the time, it's, it's just... We'd gather up on top of the mountains, have ceremony, settle disputes and all that thing, build marriage and all that, have a big feast up there on the Bogon Moth. And yeah, settle all disputes and get to make all different tribes from around the, the coast area, the flat, the old people. It's very important. Tribes were always sort of interconnected and because of marriage and that sort of stuff, a lot of the people spoke different languages. Communication was uh, sort of hand signals or just paintings or message sticks. Women weren't allowed in some of those places they were for men. So to be, be respectful of their traditions and their um, way of thinking, there's places that I know that are important to Indigenous people, but I wouldn't go there because I'm a female.
everything around this area was lost. So it's very hard to find out about something that's already lost. And what the people who did know, they're no longer with us. So it's very hard to find out about this songline, storyline, travel routes. Aboriginal people were taken, disadvantaged, they were taken from their families, put on different reserves, missions, so they were separated everywhere. There is an oral history of a massacre that was supposed to have taken place in Dedarang, which is uh, about half an hour up the Kiwa Valley. White settlers were supposed to have poison in the flour of the Indigenous people, what they were getting, and they were supposed to have killed quite a lot of people. And there's a, um, a mound, a dirt mound, like a hill in Dedarang on a paddock near the road that's supposed to be a mound where all these Aboriginal people were buried. What happened with the, all the devastation and whatever, well, by the time you didn't know your song lines and that, uh, you couldn't tell it. A lot of our community are astounded by the pioneers. It was rough country, there was a lot of snow, it was hard work, it was hard to get here. They must have been absolutely terrified, some of those people, just with the, the noises of the animals. Magpie is something that they probably had never heard, or the kookaburra, and lyrebirds. 
imitate sounds. So whatever sounds those early settlers would have been making, if there were any lyrebirds around, they imitate those sounds. So that would be scary as well. ancestors are Irish. Now, one side of the family came out as free settlers uh, for the gold rushes. There was a huge you know, impact on, in Ireland and England and people came in droves because of the gold rushes. They made their way up here. In this, they bought a little property in Harryville. 
With this valley, the Ovens Valley, I think gold was literally hundreds of thousands of people moved into the area, including my ancestors. and very diverse ranges of people too. For example, this is called Germantown because it was obviously a German camp here. On the other side of the river, there's a, a Chinese camp over there. When the initial wave of people came, they were very primitive in their methods of getting gold, which was not so bad, but then... The big companies in Melbourne got into what they called dredging and these massive, massive machines churned up this entire valley. When you look at it, I'm sure, you think, how beautiful. But in actual fact, it's been devastated. actually churned up the um, soil and put it into these massive dredges and they're sort of uh, rocks and God knows what. What they did was, instead of putting the topsoil back on the top, they plunged the topsoil down and put, popped the rocks up on the top. If you walk along the river, you'll find yourself kicking rocks everywhere.
and as I said, lucky Kiwa Valley. This never happened. No gold over there. So it's a beautiful, very beautiful agricultural area. And right, Jovantown, right up to Harrodville, it's all been dredged. On a beautiful spring day, you will get that rustle of the flowers. Sounds in mind are definitely the flow of the water. In the spring, everything's waking up. It's been under snow for months. It's more the smells, I think, that are... Sometimes um, it can be quite flat and it's almost like you can see it fighting to get up again. And then the flowers come out and on a nice day you can almost hear all of those wildflowers together moving. Lots of songs and yeah. Just listen to nature. Yeah. Nothing better. Calm, quiet. I'm here now. I can relax. <laughs> I, I really do like the black satin bow bird. In fact, actually, I was sure there was a cockatoo right outside. <laughs> mm, really liked it. Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but you know when you, you hear them. In the winter, the gas tanker comes up to refill the, the Falls Creek gas tank and he has to put chains on and there's a place called Turnback um, on the road and he usually has to put chains on there because it's quite a sharp turn and it's a very steep sort of little bit of a hill. And one day he's putting chains on and cursing and swearing and the chains are going plank and he finally got them on and stopped and it was really quiet and you could hear this Clank, clank, bloody chains. Clank, clank, bloody chains. And it was the library. <laughs> now, I've no idea if that's true or not, but that's what they say.
we are surrounded by the Alps. Um, we are a small village in the middle of a big road and there's one way in and one way out. What, the next stop is Omeo. The next stop is Mount Beauty. So at this time of year, it's of utmost importance to know your fire safety plans, to prepare your properties. We all clear our properties at summertime. We make sure that our you know, branches are away from our houses and that everyone has a very clear plan of what they will do if something happens. Mother Nature can throw a lightning strike at us. It can happen any time. Um, you just have to be prepared and you have to be on guard for it because it's a very real part of living in the Alps. Some trees will not, you know, um, without fire, they won't actually uh, create new stock. When you go back, this is just an aside, you'll see that there's been big fires along the Tawonga Gap. Gum trees actually recreate. They're all dead. They look like they're dead. And then some months later, you'll see um, growth on them. There were certain, certain people that were given the right to burn. They were the people you went to to ask about you know, doing the burning or get them to do it for you because they had held all the knowledge about the fires. The Aboriginal people managed the landscape and they used fire to actually manage the landscape. Is he, is he in the car? No, no, he'll just trot along. Mm. Oh. Still quite 1851 was a, a reasonably severe drought. Property outside Wangaratta, which is on the, over on the Hume Corridor between Banana and Albury Wodonga. And a bloke called George Gray had a property called the Pelican. Moved a thousand head from Wangaratta to, through Yakandanda over to Mitter, which is to our east. And then from there they met an Aboriginal gentleman called Lani, and he showed them a way to get stock up onto the Bogan High Plains 
in the Kabangra area, which is in the southeastern side of the Bugganghai Plains. So they took a thousand head of stock up there in 1851, and that was the start of the cattle grazing on the Bugganghai Plains. Summer we had 40,000 sheep on the Bugganghai Plains, plus cattle and horses. Continued until about 10 years ago, when at the stroke of a quill, our Labor government got rid of the cattle off the plains because it would have been declared a national park and people didn't think it was right. One day I'm walking back to the Flinders Street station to get on the train and here in the window was go to Keywar and work. SEC needs carpenters, painters, plumbers and all the rest of it. So I went in and I said uh, what do I have to do to go and they said just sign on the bottom line. You go next Tuesday or whatever it was. So I signed on the bottom line and that was it. I came here on the 20th of January 1954 and I got off the bus just over the road here. That's where the camp was. They used to, all that over there was a big camp in Mount Beauty, about a thousand men camped there. Well, it was pouring rain. And uh, there was a, where the garage is there, that was called the camp foreman's office. And he controlled the camp. And so you went to see him and he took you around to your room. Mine was E23. And gave you the keys and you were in. on the Rocky Valley Dam for quite a while and uh, worked in there for 12 months in the snow, snow 15 foot high. We had tunnels from the cookhouse to the rooms in Rocky Valley camp, right underneath, yeah. Couldn't see the camp, couldn't see the camp, totally covered in snow.
Well, when they were taking all the snow out, there were a lot of rocks were coming out too, and they put them up on top, away from the hole. But as a couple of days go by, the snow would start to melt, and the rocks would start to drop into the hole again, and we were down there working. And there were three of us working, and we were, I don't know why we were together, but we were only just within this, like this, you know, this rock about the size of a small football. Straight down between the three of us. Yeah, and then that's with the boss, the boss, he said, stop work, everybody out. There was a lot of hard work went on too. And there was eight men lost their lives up there with explosions. Three in one hit in the tunnel. Mm -hmm. It was so loud you couldn't hear yourself talk. It's true. I tried to talk, I couldn't hear anything. The noise of the water coming over the top was so incredible. The tourist rush. When did the tourist rush start? <laughs> but lots of people came up here just to work because it was good work and it, you know, paid well. The other is the village, Skippy and Tony St Elmo, who were involved with the village early. They walked up to an area just outside of our village called Eagle Rock. They called it Echidna Rock when they were here, which is a lovely story. She saw a family of echidnas, little Australian mammals, and she followed them and they were there making a very big decision about their life. And this family of echidnas walked in front of her. And so she called Echidna Rock her favorite place to sit. SEC, the State Electricity Commission, gave Falls Creek an area 
to, to designate as a tourist area to build a ski resort. really beautiful up here is we have a primary school and we have a kindergarten and we have childcare. So it means families can be up here. It's, it's a wonderful sound because it's so open that when you hear children playing and laughing in the village, when the children are in the school or down by the lake. You can hear them all day. My goodness, you can hear it from so far away. And it's a great sound because it makes, it makes you feel like it's home when you hear children laughing. It's the best sound. <laughs> 